Sorry, I went out of order, apparently. Uh, <laughs> I'll never let that happen again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't hit record, so it doesn't matter. Uh, would someone um, begin us in great as I take from us? Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Romans 4, 1 through 5, and then verses 13 through 17. And this is the New Living Translation. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Clearly God promised God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Prior to this passage, Paul has laid out his case that, quote, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone, as Paul goes on to explain in those first few chapters, those under the Torah and those who are not under the Torah, Jews and Gentiles fall short. They fall short 
we fall short in the guilt we have accrued through our sin. And we fall short of our vocation, our calling, to bear the image of God to the world. The solution to our falling short is not stricter adherence to the Torah. The Torah can be a helpful guide, but it alone cannot make us whole, cannot set us free from sin and guilt. Nor is the solution greater and more good deeds, as though we could do enough good deeds to set us right with God. Nor is the solution to pretend that sin is no big deal and that God can simply ignore it. A righteous God cannot turn a blind eye to sin, nor will he sit back while the best part of his creation, humanity, languishes in their enslavement, unable to be who they were created to be. Instead, God in his grace does for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He makes us right by his grace. He sets us free in his mercy. And Paul helps us see in this reading that this is not some change of character on God's part. The angry God of the Old Testament gets some Prozac and gives grace a chance in the New Testament. No, even from the beginning of Israel's history, God calls an undeserving Abraham by grace. And Abraham receives this new relationship with God through faith, not by earning it with good deeds, and certainly not by Torah observance since there was no law at this time. Instead, he responds with a robust faith, a trust in God, whereby he leaves everything behind and follows him. One of the things you look forward to being in heaven is being reunited, reunited with loved ones that you have known in life. I miss my mother and father and my brother and my sister. Uh, but I never got to really know some of my grandparents who I know I'm have been affected by. I have some of their character traits. And so it would be nice to sit around a campfire or whatever we're going to have up there if we need a fire. Maybe 72 degrees year-round uh, without any variation. But people that we, we would love to have known, and this passage that I'm going to read now is one of those people you'd kind of like to know a little bit about more than just there was a man called Nicodemus. That's all you know about him. You know a little bit about he's on the ruling council, the Sanhedrin court, which was in power, sort of, as the Romans let them have some authority, uh, given that they were occupied at the time by the Roman army, a small garrison anyway. Jesus has just begun his public ministry. He performed the miracle of uh, water to wine at the marriage feast in Cana of Galilee. And then he goes down to Jerusalem, and you get just kind of a, uh, a cryptic uh, few verses that he's done a lot of miracles, and uh, a lot of people are beginning to believe him because of those miracles. Later on in John 20, the, uh, John says, many signs Jesus did, but we've recorded these few so that we can believe that he is who he said he was. So as we begin John chapter 3, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark, one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. 
Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again or born above, as some say, you cannot see the kingdom of God or born from above. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man like me go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of spirit. Humans can reduce, reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't see, or can't, uh, you can hear the wind but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. readings for today have been drawing our attention to the grace of God, the grace he showed to Abraham. Paul reminds us of the grace that we need in our brokenness, and John reminds us of the grace of Jesus uh, who saves us and does for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And all three of these readings also remind us of the importance of faith. As Abraham believes and leaves everything behind, Paul tells us we can't earn this or achieve it through keeping Torah, but receive it by faith. And John tells us in one of the most famous verses, whosoever believes. And on top of this, maybe I'll draw your attention to uh, a couple play, uh, plays on words uh, that occur in this little reading. The first is from the Greek word anothen. Um, this, as uh, you heard Hilton say, can mean again or above. So when Jesus says, unless you are born anothen, this can mean unless you are born again or born from above. It's intentionally a uh, kind of cryptic way of saying things. Nicodemus, as we uh, discover, only catches uh, the meaning born again. How can a grown man uh, be born again? Whereas Jesus is directing him to a deeper meaning. Born from above, which he goes on to explain means to be born with the new birth of the Spirit. The second play on words is when Jesus says, The Son of Man will be lifted up. In the Gospel of John, lifted up refers to both his lifted up in crucifixion, lifted up on the cross, 
and his lifted up being exalted in glory at the resurrection and ascension. The key to both of these, uh, these play on word, uh, born again, lifted up, is Jesus. It's as if John, as he's writing this gospel, is training us to reimagine how we see the world. That it becomes filtered through Christ. Christ is our hope of life eternal because we cannot save ourselves or earn our salvation. If we learn to see the world this way, it helps us see it rightly. We learn to see the world through Christ. We are reminded that He is the one we follow as Abraham followed the Lord, leaving everything behind and reprioritizing our lives. Christ is the one who gives us proper perspective on life about what's important, what's not, about what's worthy of our love, our devotion, and our striving, and what could never be worthy of our love, devotion, and striving. <clears throat> Someone will lead us. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings on mine with ten Josh has asked me to read uh, an expansion of the creed that we're going to say next, uh, the Apostles' Creed, and the, the line I'm going to focus on is creator of heaven and earth. And in reading this, it's this the creed is a reaction, you might correct me if I'm wrong about these things, a reaction to the Gnostics at the time in the second century, the second century Christians, and this is a reaction to the negativity that the Gnostics were believing in. Fortunately, Josh has asked me just to read a little bit of this article because what the Gnostics believed is so negative, I'm glad I don't have to read that. <laughs> so, it says, in the second century, Christian teachers struggled to define their beliefs and commitments in opposition to the popular rival teachings, which is very similar today, I think. 
The prevailing culture mood was one of deep spiritual pessimism. Members of the educated class took it for granted that the physical world was inherently evil and irredeemable. They yearned to escape from the world of the flesh and to experience spiritual enlightenment. The Christian baptismal confession developed in part in response to such world-denying doctrines and the wider culture of despair that had engendered them. Right from the start, Christians were marked by their positive stance toward creation. The Gospel of John begins by retelling Israel's creation story in the beginning. The followers of Jesus believed that in him they had encountered the enabling source of creation. They had come to know the one through whom all things were made. Looking into the face of Jesus, they had seen the blueprint of reality and had come to understand God's good plan for the whole creation. It was spiritually countercultural to be baptized into this world-affirming faith. The ancient Christians refused to see anything in the world as inherently evil. They confessed that everything in this world had been made by the good and wise God who they had come to know in Jesus. Though many evil things happened in this world, Christians confess that they are still living in God's good creation. It is a sick world that needs healing, not an evil world that needs destruction. This, that is the difference between Christianity and Gnosticism. <clears throat> it is often said that the creeds are narrow and intolerant, but in the ancient world, the truth was exactly the opposite. It was the Christian creed that took a stand on behalf of creation. It was the creed that said no to those doctrines that condemn creation, disparaged the body, and sought escape from the world of the flesh. In saying no, the church says yes to the whole material universe. Would you leave us in the cream? Oh, sure. Okay. I believe in God, Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He ascended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of God. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of body, and the life everlasting.
As we way of bringing our practice part to, to a close today, let's pray the prayer the Lord taught us to pray together, the Lord's Prayer, if you'll pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We have a few minutes today to talk about what we've just done. Um, so we'd be interested to hear if, if you what you thought about what you heard today, either from Scripture or from Josh, um, in terms of how these practices... Um, help bring us into that life of grace that Josh talked about. One of the things I found interesting, for example, was the first, the first stuff that you drew on the board. Um, and you had two, what would you call those? Those two different ways of thinking about <laughs> the point of it all? Uh, little cliff notes of Christianity. Because that, that first line was the one I pretty much grew up with, right? The reason you, you do things is so you can be good. Thank goodness Jesus died because we can't be good. And the point is getting to heaven. And you're, you're right. It made me think about the fact that we tend to be more worried about getting it right. And we tend to... Uh, what's a good word for that? Overcompensate by either trying to obey more strictly whatever version of the law we think we're supposed to obey. Or by doing more good deeds to make up for the bad deeds we're going to do. <clears throat> or, and I like the third option too, um, which is to sort of revel in grace, with air quotes around grace, yeah. and just not worry about either trying to be better or worrying about our sin, and just kind of go ahead and live the way we ordinarily live mm -hmm. and think that God's going to take care of all the rest. Which I think is, as you pointed out, is that's not a very healthy way to live. And the, the whole idea that we've misunderstood the effect of grace, and that instead what we should recognize is that connection between slavery to sin and freedom from sin, and that, and I thought you were going to go this direction. It's not so much heaven eventually that we're aiming at, it's how that new life creates heaven on earth to a certain extent. And by that I mean the kingdom of God, um, a way of living that helps us understand what heaven will be like. Mm -hmm. Is that accurate or not? Yeah, so we can't achieve heaven on earth. I mean, we're gonna, it's going to require the second coming for, for that to be fully achieved, but it's almost like we're in training now. Or the lives we live now are meant to shine a light to the world about a glimpse of the life to come. Uh, so that even in Revelation... Uh, were described the new heavens and new earth where humans are described as as kingdom of priests so that you have this priestly uh, kingly responsibility all of us do to care for creation to reflect God to the world um, and so even now we're, we're seeking to begin practicing that and begin showing the world what that might look like uh, so we should be a different people and you don't get from point A, where we are when we get baptized, to point B, 
fully kind of Christ-like priest and kings unintentionally. You get there through good habits and community, and um, and that's maybe how we think about connecting those dots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, so when I think about practice, I can't help but think about sports. Mm -hmm. um, that's that was my life for a long time, and uh, you know, when you reach the professional level. You don't stop practicing. When you uh, when you uh, pass the bar, you don't stop studying the law. It's it's a it's an ongoing lifestyle that has to be continued, and it's through practice that we realize our shortcomings and and can overcome them. That's a good point. I try to tell my students, practice is how you get good at something. And, and practice shows you, if practice is good practice, you will make mistakes. And, and mistakes are how you learn how to do better. I, mean, I think that applies surely in sports, yes. probably also in law or any profession that we follow. Um, but I think when we translate what you just said into thinking about the lives we live, as, as Christians, it's still true. We try, we practice, we fail on occasion, and on more than one occasion we fail. But that's not, the, the failure is not the game. The failure is how we learn over time to, to be better. Um, we're reading about Abraham. I guess that was you reading about Abraham. If you think about the life Abraham lived, it was kind of a mess. And he didn't have anything to go on. Like you said, he didn't have law. Um, he just followed and tried his best. And sometimes he did good things. And sometimes he did horrifically unthinkable things just because he was a little bit clueless. Over time, he got better. Right? He learned maybe he shouldn't pretend his wife is his sister. <laughs> things like that. Um, twice. 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 Like I said, practice yeah. makes perfect. Yeah. The sports analogy, Paul actually uses that in Philippians 3, trains his body. Uh, and the language of renewing your mind. That that ongoing practice, um, that if you remember the first thing I wrote up here, that doesn't matter. <coughs> Why is Paul training? What's he training for? Is Jesus not enough? Do we need... Jesus' death, plus we got to do good works to get to heaven. So that, that old model doesn't make sense of Paul's teaching about practice and training. But a model that recognizes that we are called to become a certain kind of people, that Jesus has freed us, not just from our guilt, but freed us from sin holding us back from, from our vocation to become uh, those who bear the image of God. Then it's like, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense why we're training, because... We've got growth. We've got development to do. Uh, we have something to live into. Maybe that's a way of understanding grace. You know, in, in practice, like b before the game, sorry, in practice, mistakes happen, but they don't matter because the point is is to get better, so that over time you you won't make as many. Grace is kind of like, to a certain extent, you're gonna make mistakes as you practice. But grace means it's not the mistakes that matter; it's how you do it better next time. And I think you, you had up here at some point, is that still there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, virtue. Good, good habits 
You know, habits aren't things that you suddenly have. They're things that you only acquire by doing again and again and again and again. And I think that notion of, of repetition, practice, that's the way liturgy works. That's the way vocation works. Um, and in medicine, you know, learning how to put the IV in that vein is, is you're going to make yeah, mistakes. Yeah, you want a virtuous nurse. Or you want a virtuous nurse. <laughs> <laughs> well, that gives me hope in the sense that I... I, I Especially on those days when I feel like I've really screwed up. I've, ma I've made mistakes. I've failed. I, th I think the, the, the good thing about what we've talked about this morning makes me remember that that's what grace covers. It covers the mistakes we're going to make. But it also encourages us to practice better habits. To, to do it better next time. Because there's always a next time. And to contrast to the previous system, you, you said... You know, it's not about the mistakes, but the previous system under the law, it was all about the mistakes, mm -hmm. right? So there's a, there's a complete divergence of how you do that. Law just shows you how many times you fail. It's all about counting mistakes. That's really true. No comment. I'm going to stand up so I can see people. <laughs> um, I, I, I really like the virtue of good health habits of the soul and I thought about what Hilton I love that image that Hilton had because I could just love sitting there and talking to people that you miss so much that have died and one thing that's been really great for in my life that I've had time since I've retired to do more of is just sitting still with God just a quiet time and I always think a practice is something I've got to, I love tennis, and I've got to get out there and practice, and it can be so hard. You know, you've got to be disciplined. But it's been interesting um, that this one habit of the soul, I felt like I've got to spend time with God because I've got to. It's got to, you know, it's things you're supposed to be doing. It's the practice. It's sort of a responsibility. But it's been that sitting by a fire and talking. I mean, it's been a, such a pleasure that it's, it's kind of different from making yourself, which has been such a nice discovery. Yeah. Yeah, and if we have a sense of the big picture, we're called, we're adopted as children of God. So, yeah, the habits don't always have to be difficult and grueling. They can be yeah. the kind of habits that ingrain this this idea that oh, we are beloved children. Yeah. And, and, yeah, so that it can be pleasant. Yeah, that uh, that's a wonderful reminder. I know this. Well, you remember especially in our culture, you talk about taking some time just to sit and be yeah. still. I mean, the habit of Sabbath was something that God yeah, told that's us a people great, to do. It's, it's something I, I have been recently reminded um, doesn't happen in my life often enough. And I think it's true for a lot of us. We, we think we're supposed to be busy yeah. um, doing, doing more good things, and yeah. we forget that a good thing to do is nothing. Mm -hmm. Especially if we do nothing and recognize that it's a space of freedom God has given us to remember who he is and who we are. Yeah, Richard Foster's celebration of discipline, which is getting into this idea of disciplines or practices that ingrain these habits. One of his 13, I think, is celebration uh, or something along those lines. As a reminder, this is what we're part of what we're training for. Sabbath is like that. Um, or uh, another guy, James Bryan Smith, just wrote a book or a few years ago on this these practices, and one of his first ones is rest. Got to rest. Uh, that's just part of who we are. Um, 
So these are not all, all bad, because it's good news, and we're being shaped into something great. For once, we'll finish on time. <laughs> so let's end today. Um, I'll pray this collect over us as a, as a blessing and as a benediction. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word, Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God forever and ever. Amen.